my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome back to another episode of Big Money Energy, where we talk to super successful and self-made people to find out exactly how they did it, how they went from nothing to something. Today, I am joined by none other than author, podcast host, and how you know her, absolute trailblazer in the world of fashion, Rebecca Minkoff. The Rebecca Minkoff, who's sitting down with me mere days before her huge show during the chaos of fashion week in New York City. We discuss pushing boundaries and taking risks, her thoughts on elevating female voices and perspectives in the world of business, and how she went from sleeping on egg crates, no joke, to being one of the most important names in all of fashion. Now let's get into it. Welcome to another episode. Thank you so much for coming. You are awesome. And I've been a huge fan for a really, 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 really long time. And it's exciting to have you here in Fashion Week. 
It's Fashion Week. My event is Friday. Why are you, why are you here? <laughs> I'm here because when you request me in person, Ryan, I have I have to answer the call. Are you sure? Did you maybe you didn't know that it was going to be Fashion Week because no, this I was knew. a little while ago? And no, you no, said, no. are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. But okay. I was like, you know what? I'm not. I'm only in town for a week before I go back to Florida, where I'm temporarily residing, and yeah. I need to do this. This is my week. Got it. Well, thank you for being here. Yeah. Crazy. Are you losing your mind right now? Yeah, I am. So are you one of those people who's like, kind of like me, like calm on the outside, but there's a lot happening on the inside? Yes. But I found that writing down notes analog style, like on a notebook really helps me. And this, the satisfaction of crossing things off my list makes me feel less stressed. So we are launching it at New York Fashion Week at Spring Studios. That's where the hub is. And we are selling prints that we made of the collection, a capsule collection as NFTs. Oh. If anyone needs to Google that, yep. they can. Yeah, we got it. Um, and the proceeds are going to be going towards a grant to female-founded businesses impacted by the pandemic in New York City. Is that all your concept that you put together? Yeah. So I began reading about NFTs early last year. I saw that luxury dove in. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? We're always known as a brand for pushing boundaries. And this, this should be how we launch it. Everyone's coming back to Fashion Week. We showed through the pandemic, but we have to do something different. It can't just be models in a collection. So we shot a campaign with a legendary photographer and decided to do a gallery-like event and work to promote NFTs as a charitable way to give back. That's crazy. And because it is the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and I had a charitable component then, yeah. I thought, let's do something now for women who were you know, really devastated by this pandemic in New York. You started your business in 2001. I did. In what month? September of 2001. One, it's a momentous kind of anniversary for you, right? And the business. So it means a lot. But that was also in probably one of the toughest times in the history of New York City. I mean, how does fear play a role in one, your ability to start a business, keep a business going and all the ups and downs, but also in kind of just, I guess, the business in general? So I've learned a lot about fear in the last 20 years. Um, my show, my initial Fashion Week show was September 10th, 2001. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, it was a group show. A uh, bunch of designers that didn't have enough money banded together to, you know, make it five of us or whatever to eat. Could, you know, make the costs easier. The next day obviously changed everything. And I had this I Love New York shirt that was part of the collection that I had cut up and bedazzled and tied knots in. It was very DIY then, which was cool. I hope it never comes back. And a couple weeks later, so I guess I should back. So I obviously wasn't thinking about my business at that time. A couple of days later, my boss, a designer I worked for, called me and said, you know what you're doing, go do it. I either need you 100% with me or you're fired. And I think I know the answer, so you're fired. But I'm here for you. And I was like, but wait, uh, like 9-11 just happened. And it's not like people are hiring. And I said, this is my moment to try my hand at this business. Um, and that shirt, because an actress wore it on Jay Leno and he mentioned it, was all over the weeklies. There was no such thing as social media. So the power of that was crazy. And there was one website uh, called Raven Style that sold the shirt. So I literally would bike down to Green Street on the corner of Green and Canal, buy the shirts, go home, make them. And that shirt, that I Love New York shirt, kept me alive. Barely. It was like ramen and avoiding my roommate who I owed her like $3,000 in rent for a couple of months. But still, it was that shirt that like opened doors for me. A lot of people reach out to us all the time and ask about, okay, I'm 18 years old. Now what do I do? I have a passion or sometimes they don't have a passion. And I feel like the answer is always different. Did you have a passion for fashion 
when you were like three? Or was it something that was developed around parents and friends? It was eight. Um, I wanted Five a dress. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted a dress. It was 20 bucks. My mom said, no, but I'll teach you how to sew. Okay. And I was so pissed. And I have an eight-year-old who I say no to all the time. And she gets equally pissed, but she doesn't take me up on the offer to help her make it. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I got hooked at the age of eight on sewing and design. I went to a performing arts high school. I was in the costume department. The teacher couldn't believe I cared. So she like taught me draping and pattern making and the art of design. And so, again, part of why I felt like I didn't need to go to college is I had four hours a day every day through high school of learning the craft. So my first year of FIT, I probably already had gotten in high school. Were you ever nervous though about like, how am I actually going to make money when, you know, the percentage of people that actually make it, especially in New York City, getting into fashion? What if it doesn't work out? What am I going to fall back on a year of FIT? I mean, that must have been like from family members tough on you, no? Or were they just like, just do whatever you want? Well, I did six weeks at FIT. Got it. Six. Six weeks. Solid. Yes. Okay. Really dedicated there. <laughs> I think when you're that young, it's a bit of a mix of naivety, right? And I had nothing to fall back on. So it's not like I had to fear anything, right? I knew that if it didn't work out, I guess I'd go back home and be a receptionist at my dad's office or I don't know. I just, for me, I was like, I have to give it my all. And, and back then the pay for me was the experience and it was the excitement. Like everything was exciting and so it wasn't about money. I didn't care if I ate bagels or pizza. That was what I could afford to eat and whatever. So that feeling you had when you first moved to New York where you didn't have to make money because you just wanted the experience and it was exciting. And what's the worst thing that can happen? You're going to move home. Like that, that was the same thing for me. Like I came to New York City, I had a little money saved up. I gave myself two years. And what was the worst thing that could happen? I could move home. And at the time it was Colorado, but that was by far like the worst thing. Because if I went home to Colorado, like what was I, right. I would never come back. Right. And I knew that if you make it in New York, I would figure it out, even if it wasn't the initial plan. You stuck with the initial plan. I totally went a different way. <laughs> um, but something that I, I think about a lot is like I was able to make super bold and daring decisions at that time because the repercussions were so insignificant when you look at life as a whole. Like Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy the day I got into the business, right? And so, but I, I, I had no money. I didn't have a stock portfolio. You know, everyone else was crying and watching CNBC and I was like, man, real estate must be hard. Like I had no idea. How do you bring that kind of naivete back into your life when there is a lot on the line? And I feel like you're someone who's kind of Hope, I mean, kind of figure that out a bit because you're always launching something new. You're always pushing boundaries. You're about to do an NFT fashion week show on your 20th year anniversary. Like, is that what keeps you kind of like up against the wall? I think it's a couple of things. Obviously, as your responsibilities grow, I know you have a family. I have one too. Things, you have three times the family. I have three times the family. Yes, I do. It's insane. Um, I think obviously the risks you take have to be weighed a bit more. But I think for me, my my big low moment, my big that sort of put everything for me in perspective was a couple of years ago, I was in Paris for sales of the collection. I was celebrating with my former president. We were drinking champagne and eating at L'Avenue in this fantastic setting. And we get an email from our bank that was basically like, we're, we're not advancing you any more funds. You're cut off, which meant we couldn't pay the factory, which meant we couldn't ship the collection, which means bankruptcy. And 
you know, the bank also has a lien on my house. So I was like, cool, they're going to take that too. And I, as I'm having a panic attack, like I'm going to lose everything. I just said, you know what? They can't take my kids. They can't take my husband. And I know that if I started something once, I can start it again. And that for me was a more security than any money in the bank. And I'm not saying it wouldn't suck to lose everything. It would really, if I can swear, it would really fucking suck. But I knew that I could rebuild. And I knew the things I'm most precious to me, no one can steal today. Maybe maybe in the future, who knows? Um, and so I look through that lens now, like I'm never going to take a risk that's going to put my company out of business. But, you know, I think we've been given permission from our industry as innovators and sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. You know, this NFT thing could be a flop and no one wants to buy the goods at the auction. But it could also be the beginning of something great for contemporary American fashion designers. So I think for us, I thrive on the risk now. Yeah. I don't have the fear because, you know, a smart, wise man who was a consultant for us pointed out, he's like, every time you tried to go with the pack and do what the fashion industry said, you didn't achieve anything. And anytime you went your own way, you did. And so I know for us, our own way is the solution. And that involves a lot of risk. How many people work for you now? I have 27. And it started just you and your brother. Originally in 2001, it was just me. It was me for four years, struggling, doing the apparel thing, making everything myself. I had a little racket going where a publicist would call me and say, editors are looking for this. I'd go home and make it. I'd deliver it to him. He would get in a magazine and we would credit the one website who would be like, you got to buy a couple in advance and loan me the money so I can go buy the fabric because it's going to run in the magazine. So I had this like it's not a pyramid scheme, but it kind of was. But everyone was in on it. Yeah. Um, and then I launched the handbag, which was just supposed to be one handbag as an accessory to the collection. And that's what took off in a way that my brother, that's when I got him involved. Because I was like, I'm really terrible at business. I'm way better now. I can go toe-to-toe with him. But at the time, I just wanted to design and focus on that. So wait, so take me back. So you doing it on your own for four years. Your brother comes into the picture. You had the shirt. You've got the bag. And then... Do you guys have a discussion and say, listen, we could build something really, really big or, hey, this is the business plan. Let's write it together. Or were you kind of just winging it and creating the supply as the demand came in? So I'll backtrack a little bit because I think it sets the scene. Um, My dad had co-signed a credit card. He was not paying for it, but he had signed it. That was basically like, if I can't make the payments. They'll go after him. Yes. I was $60,000 in when the bag was about to take off. And I called him and I was like, dad, got another good thing. But people, you know, like it. You know, I have an order, a bunch of orders for this bag. And he's like, oh, no, we are done here. Like, call your brother. Maybe he'll partner with you. So my brother asked me some basic business 101 questions like, do you have a bank account, a business bank account, tax ID? I was like, why would I have a business bank account? There's not even enough money in one. I literally go from bank to bank and open and close accounts because I'm always overdrafted. And he was like, oh, my God. So he loaned me (laughs) 2,500 bucks to make the first round of bags. And then he paid himself back. And so there was no there was never even a formal like, what does he own? What does I own? He just dove in. And kind of assess what was needed. There was no business plan. We could not get a loan. So business plan didn't matter. Venture capital was not a thing then. Um, We only discussed business terms when things were getting more serious. And we were looking at taking on an investment. And that was seven years in. And then he was like, oh, yeah, I get half the company. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know that's how this is going to work. But cool. So that's when those negotiations began. 
My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. What was that day like for you when you had that first big deal? I was so excited. I have a picture in you my do? phone, yes, of me standing by the store as I delivered the bags. And I'm like, ah. How many bags was it? It was probably, what well, was a big order? Because they had a lot of stores. It was probably over 100 bags. Oh, my God. Yeah. When did you have your first child? Sorry if you can remind me. 2011. Crazy. Yeah. And how did that change your business? It didn't change my business. It changed, it changed how I worked. Prior to him being born, I worked, you know, till midnight every night. It didn't matter. Any state I needed to be in, I was there. Yeah. Um, and I, even six months into being pregnant, I wasn't even certain I wanted a child. I was accelerating my my child-rearing journey because my mom said my ovaries would turn to dust. Oh. And I also wanted my parents, I mean, sorry, my children to know my parents and have a great relationship with them because I didn't get that yeah. growing up with my grandparents. And 
I would text my husband. He'd be sitting right next to me. I'm like, why are we doing this? Why are we having a kid? I don't know if I While want a kid. While you're six months pregnant? Yes. Nice. I didn't want the baby to hear. Got then it. he came out, fell in love, obsessed. Couldn't believe I ever thought that. Should have started earlier. Um, and I said, I want to be a really present mom. And so I really cut back my hours. And when I say that, I just went from nine to five or whatever. Um, and then I made a lot of sacrifices. I said, if I'm going to travel for more than a couple of days, baby comes with me. Does that make my life hell to go to China, Korea, Japan, London, Paris with a kid? Yes. But I just was like, you know, stick in the ground. I'm going to be the best mother that I can. And that means being there as much as possible. So I began to play with my boundaries and with each kid, I played with my boundaries more and more. And someone might be listening and saying, well, that's easy. She owns her company. But I never did anything that my employees can't do. You know, I never took advantage of anything that my team can't do. And so I kind of set the example as the woman that's pumping at the boardroom uh, or in a cab or with a group of investors and little things, right, of just like this is important and I want my company values to reflect that. So, And that's a big part of your culture statement as well. Yeah. It's a huge part of our culture statement. Yeah. Women yeah. first, supportive to moms. You got to go. No questions asked. You know, I don't care where you are. If you're at a dental appointment or a doctor's visit with your kid or a performance, if you get your job done, it doesn't matter to me. How has that, one, that's awesome, but two, how has that affected the growth then of the business, whether it's been in the people you've hired or the, or the creations, the product, the apparel? So it's weird. I can't measure what it's done for business. I can't say that more people have bought my bags because they like that I promote breastfeeding. I don't know that I could ever make that correlation. I'll make it for you. I'm pretty sure it works. <laughs> okay. But I will say that the team that I attract know and love the fact that I'm a fierce fighter in that, you know, so fierce that we had a woman who was past childbearing age who never had kids, like knocking on the door of my PR person who was pumping. And I was like, you get away from that door right now. She's in the middle of something very important. And you schedule with her when you want a meeting. And she was like, ah. uh. so I guess I go the opposite direction of most people. And I'm like, very, I just want to make sure that women feel supported because in the workplace, it is not the norm. What would you tell a 17, 18, 24 year old girl who wants to be an entrepreneur, but doesn't think that that's in the cards for her. I would say that you are, this is going to sound cheesy. You are the person that's going to determine if you get your own in your own way or not. It is up to you. And I will also say that the Calvary is not coming for you. Any great change, any great forward progress has been because people stick their necks out. And I'm going to make some extreme examples, but make them. You know, Susan Fowler, who called out Uber on their sexual discrimination. You think that was easy for her to write that op-ed? Yeah. No. Rosa Parks, you think she was comfortable sitting in that part of the bus not moving? Women voting, right? You think they liked getting beaten and jailed? So if you're scared of asking for a raise, asking for a promotion, calling out someone or starting your own journey, like, it's on you. You know, people have done much more, had to endure much harder things. And so I like to look at those extreme examples whenever I'm a little scared. I'm like, all right, she was beaten and jailed. Cool. I think I can do an NFT for Fashion Week. Um, so I think, you know, you have in my book, I say sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. We need to reframe failure as this thing that you should be scared of and always avoiding. The more you fail, the more you're going to learn and you're just stronger for the next time you Try something. Do you think it's also important for people to be really clear and honest with themselves on their strengths and weaknesses? Yes. I feel like especially now, 
people have a really hard time answering that question. Like they don't know what they're good at. They kind of might know what they're bad at, but it's like extreme examples. Like, oh, I'm bad at football. Like, okay, have you ever tried? Probably not. What What do you think your, I don't wanna say what you're better at, but what do you think your your strengths are that have really, really helped you kind of turn the tables on the narrative over the last 20 years? I think what I'm good at is I'd be a great project manager. I'm really good at taking a goal, breaking it up into its little parts and then getting it done. Yeah. Um, you know, my brother hates that I make hasty decisions and I hate that he thinks a ton over every decision, but that works great, right? Because he'll slow me down or I'll speed him up. Um, but to me, I don't know who said this and I hope it's not Mark Zuckerberg, but like fail fast or something, fail hard or whatever, fail fast. Yeah. <laughs> So, it works. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> so I think I I know how to get little steps done that add up to a big goal. I know I'm terrible at math, and I should never look at a spreadsheet and make a decision based on that. And I think I agree with you. When I hired, I hired for my weaknesses. I said, what am I terrible at? Those have to be my hires. Yeah. Because I know. And then I'm good at PR and marketing. I have an innate sense of that. Um, so I knew I could win in those things and lose in other categories and, and hire great people for that. And don't try to, you don't have to be great at everything. I think it's really awesome when you know what you're terrible at because yeah. you can pay people to do that. Do you think you'd be where you were today if you hadn't come to New York and gone to FIT for six weeks? Definitely not. And, and when you said small town, I was born in San Diego, but I lived in Tampa, Florida, like small town. Who should ever make it as a designer from Tampa, Florida? Well, go so, Tampa, go Bucks. There you, know? you go, Super Bowl. Yep, yeah. I've always been a Bucks fan. You know, I mean, since last year, definitely. Um, <laughs> do you consider yourself a super competitive person? I've changed the way I look at competition because I've had mm. enough women in this industry. So when I started venturing outside this industry, and I was like, wait, there's a glass ceiling women aren't getting opportunities because of men. In my industry, women aren't getting opportunities because of other women. Like women are like elbowing and throwing each other under the bus in ways I've never seen with much more drama, much more bitchiness. And yes. I was like, wow, this is really messed up. And I hate how this feels. So for me, I don't look at what another person gets as I'm going to compete with that woman. I go, I also want what she has and I want to learn how she got it so I can get that too. But it's not her versus me. How, how has that changed for you though? It was, were you super competitive and envious when you were starting or like excited and inspired? I was super competitive and envious. And I remember this woman who had a much bigger handbag brand than me, who should have hated me because I was gaining on her, was so nice to me and so gracious to me. And I was like, wow, this woman should want to punch me in the face because I'm taking her business. And she didn't. And she's still, to this day, one of the nicest people. And I just was like, that's the example I want to set. Just through kind of gratitude and welcoming in Gratitude, welcome. People. How can I help you? Yeah. How do you define, and this is such a loaded question, but how do you define success when people say, because you just, I mean, you told me like 10 minutes ago, you made it, you know, came from nothing, made it in New York City. What is making it to you? What is success to you? And does that definition change every year? It changes every year. Success to me, again, back when I first started, was I didn't have to call my bank account to see if I could afford to go out to dinner. And I didn't have to worry that everyone's going to do that thing at the end of every meal. Like, let's just uh, divide it. And you're like, but I had a soda. I can't afford to pay for your salad. Like success meant, okay, I can just do the splitting thing that never equals out. 
you know, obviously I'm 20 years in and so success is a lot different to me. Um, but I truly think it's, it's about being able to enjoy where you're at. I think people who are entrepreneurs have this sickness of, it's a mirage, right? If I just get here, then I'll enjoy it. And then you get there, you're like, wait, I thought this would feel better. So success to me is enjoying the hard, the good, the bad, the nitty gritty on your way to that goal. I wouldn't be lying. And if I said, obviously being able to pay for things is great, but that I don't determine that as my only signifier of success is being able to enjoy the hard work, take the vacation, not do emails on a weekend. That's success to me. Hmm. You don't do emails on weekends? Well, this weekend I did, but I try not to. Yes. Really? Yeah. I had to cut it out of my life with child number two. It was just like... Okay. Yeah. So if you have another child, you'll see emails on the weekend are <laughs> hard. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you could start Rebecca Minkoff today, it's 2021, or let's say, yeah, let's say today, would you do things differently? I mean, obviously, it's a different time. It's 20 years later. You're going to be on TikTok and Instagram and all that. Anything else you would have done differently today if you could? restart? Yeah, I think that we had a moment where it was 
very trendy to, you know, like not trendy. You saw these big brands, the Kate Spade, the Michael Kors, the Marc Jacobs. And it was like, go big, sell everything, be as big as you possibly can, because then you can sell the company for a billion dollars. And I think we decided to get onto that path in 2009. And it just changes the decisions you make about how you operate, how much you sell, how big your skew count is. And again, don't regret anything. But if I could do it differently today, there's nothing wrong with a smaller, profitable company that allows and pays for your lifestyle. Not at first. It will definitely not pay for your lifestyle at first. But later on, as you get successful, um, because it shouldn't be all about being a slave to this thing that one day, hopefully, you'll get your pot of gold. You know, I think, and I think today's younger generation already has the mentality of like, no, I want to enjoy my life today. I'm not going to work like a dog 800 hours a week to then put my head up at 40 and go sail off on a yacht. So I think I would adapt in that way and just say, what do I want to have in my life? How how successful do I need to be to pay that? It doesn't need to be an, like the big dick contest, no offense, of like, this is what I have to do to compete with all the other big yeah. dicks. Yeah, yeah, no offense taken. Okay. Um, you can't say big boobs doesn't sound as, you know, apropos. You, you could. Um, it would be, I, yeah. <laughs> You said you hate math, but are you good with money, bad with money? Are you glad you have people who understand money around you? In my business, I'm really glad I have people who understand money. In my personal life, I'm not bad at it. But I also feel like I was raised with this mentality that hasn't left me. And again, this is not a woe is me moment. But it was like we had a ledger in the kitchen and we had to earn for everything we wanted. We had to work for everything we wanted. And so that feeling of like I don't have it did I make enough still sits with me even though I know I made enough if that makes sense totally makes sense so what is your emotional connection to money now um I'm trying to have a healthier relationship with it and not have that childhood you know my mom was like the family gets to spit split one small fry or you can't get cheese on the cheeseburger because it's 10 cent more. So that was, you know, and anything I wanted, how are you going to make the money? You know, and so that's been ingrained in me. So I, when I go to purchase something that might be extravagant or I still have that like, oh, I, I shouldn't do this. I don't have it, which is weird. And I'm admitting that to you in front of a lot of people right now. But don't you think that that is kind of part of the secret sauce that has enabled you to get to where you got to sleeping on egg crates sleeping on egg crates like if you grew up in a totally different household your connection to money would have been like ma there's money around and you could have sputtered out real fast correct i think it is part of my superpower that i was forced to work and learn for everything i wanted and i'm definitely proud that i did work for everything and did get it but i but that feeling of hunger doesn't leave you even if it if it can because it's ingrained in you it's like part of the blood now yeah even as a little girl yeah for sure. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that my mom would buy me was materials. So she said, I won't buy you that. But again, I'll buy you the beads to make the bracelets or I'll buy you the paint to do the whatever. How do you carry that on to your kids now growing up in Manhattan? Interesting you bring that up. Okay. I recently did a podcast with Gary Vaynerchuk and I said, I'm applying the exact same principles that I was raised with to my children, but it's not working. And like I shared with you, 
I'll say to my daughter, how are you going to earn it? And she's just like, eh, I don't need it. And what Gary said, which I thought was so spot on because he has kids too, he said, the bar, even if you're making them work for everything, their bar living in Manhattan, being exposed to the events you get to go to and the parties is already so much higher than anything you had that they just, they don't need it. And I'm not spoiling them in any way, but they have a baseline that's way higher than yours. So I was like, okay, well then how do I raise self-sufficient children who are... Have a much higher bar. Yeah. And I don't know how to answer that yet. Tell me about your book. The book is called Fearless, as we've been talking a lot. Um, the New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. And I called it Fearless not because you're going to read the book and swing your hair back and be like, I'm fearless now. It's more that this is an emotion that is keeping us from taking risks in life, in business, uh, personally. And here are a couple of rules, nothing ask, you know, nothing crazy. Um, that are just stability points for you if you get scared because you're going to have that emotion, but running from a bear should not be the emotion that you take into launching your own real estate company or launching something crazy at Fashion Week or whatever it is you do. Well, it's awesome and everybody should get it. And um, tell me about your podcast. My podcast is called Super Women with Rebecca Minkoff. So no offense, I can never have you on. Um, Lame. I know. Maybe when your wife launches the Greek bakery, we can talk about it. Yes. But um, I felt like I was very lucky to be exposed to such game changers and innovators. And I thought there had to be a better way than me just having them in my store in front of 75 people. Um, and so launched the podcast in 2018 to just interview women who have also broken barriers. Women you think have it all that are perfect, that are like, no, this shit was hard to launch. And here's how I struggled. And here's how I got through. So it's women you've never heard of like the McBride sisters who have the biggest black-owned winery in the United States, to Katie Couric, to Jessica Alba, um, Bozema St. John, but just game changers in their own right. And um, it's inspiring for business people, women who just, or men who are not sure their path, just to hear these great stories. It's awesome. I love it. And listen, you are an inspiration to many, obviously girls and women around, but also, you know, also men and boys and everybody who's ever wanted to do more than they thought that they were capable of doing. Um, and it's been awesome to have you here. Thank you so much for coming to our, our crazy office clubhouse in Soho. Thank you. Big Money Energy is hosted by me, Ryan Serhant. It's produced by Mike Coscarelli and Joe Laresca and executive produced by Lindsay Hoffman. Find more podcasts like Big Money Energy on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work.